Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome back to Mads World. I'm your host Mads and I hope you've been enjoying the show so far. If you have, please remember to subscribe, rate and review the podcast as it's the simplest way to help out the show. Or find me on social media and tell your friends about it. I've decided to start reading out my favourite reviews each week from Apple Podcasts so go and leave a review and I might read it out. My favourite review this week is from Helen01 who says, Maddie has me laughing out loud every episode. I honestly feel like she's in the room with me and I'm not sat alone at my desk. Easy listening and funny. Thank you so much, Helen. This week I'm joined by podcaster, activist, writer and speaker Sangeeta Pillai. Sangeeta is the founder of the South Asian feminist network Soul Sutras, which is all about tackling taboos within the culture. She's a creator of Masala Podcast, seen as one of the top feminist podcasts in the UK, featuring truly diverse experiences and voices. Sangeeta is a five times winner at the British Podcast Awards, as well as the winner at the Audio Production Awards 2022. She is also a winner at Spotify Sound Up 2018 and was also nominated as a changemaker at the Visionary Awards in 2022. Masala Podcast and Sangeeta have both been featured on BBC Radio, In the Guardian, The Observer, Evening Standard, Cosmopolitan, Stylist, East and I, Huffington Post, BBC Sounds, Brown Girl Magazine, Women's Health Austria, Deccan Herald India, and more. Sangeeta is also the creator of the Masala Monologue series of writing workshops and theatre shows in the UK and the US. In this episode, we chat about Sangeeta's funniest date story, her influences as a feminist, how she finds the strength to view taboo subjects in such a critical way, where the stigma and shame might stem from in South Asian communities, the importance of creating safe spaces, and much more. Hello, Sangeeta! Hello, Maddie. Thank you so much for asking me to be on the podcast. I'm really excited for this conversation. I'm a little bit croaky, so please excuse me. That's okay. I feel like in England, everyone's always like, oh, there's something going around. But like, there's always something going around. Everyone you meet is either sick or about to be sick or feeling like they're about to be sick. (laughs) It's so true. Oh, well, let's kick off with our speed date question round so everyone listening can learn a bit more about you. So my first question is, what are you most passionate about? So I am most passionate about South Asian women and 
all our kind of pains and pleasures and joys and issues and you know like that's kind of wake that's what I wake up thinking about that's what I wake up kind of going to sleep and it it really for me what I do isn't what I do it's who I am it's an extension of who I am that comes into the work that I do so it doesn't feel like work it doesn't mean it's not hard and we know that work can be hard but it just is so much a part of myself I think so that's the thing that I am most passionate about in the world and I want all South Asian women to have um, I don't know autonomy over their lives their bodies their thoughts and not be kind of stuck with some of the things we've been handed down that's a really beautiful way to put it when you said um, it's not what you're passionate about it's who you are I think that's the best that's where the best kind of passions come from and I guess that's what motivates you to work so hard I feel similar about my podcast like allowing women to have a have a voice about their passions and, and what um, what they believe in so that's really 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 nice um, my next question was what is your greatest achievement I guess Masala podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, would be the short answer because about yeah. it, about four and a half years ago, I went, went to Google, and this is a true story. I went to Google and typed in what is a podcast. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because I'm an older person. I haven't really grown up in the world of podcasts, right? Uh-huh. Uh, and I was like, how is it different from radio? So I really didn't know. So I kind of did a little bit of research. Next thing I knew, I'd kind of applied to this Spotify podcasting competition for women of color. Yeah. Um, And they had 750 people apply in London that year. And I was one of 10 people that got shortlisted. And I didn't really think about it. It was like, I don't know, half 11 at night. I sat at my computer and I bashed something out saying, yeah, that's sort of what I want to do. So really not expecting to hear back from them. Yeah. And then I went on to kind of win that competition. And that's how Masala Podcast came to be. So from going from like, what is a podcast to like having a podcast that's won like, I don't know, five British podcast awards, one audio production award, gets written about all the time is incredible. And I think sometimes I kind of have to pinch myself to say, oh, my God, this is really happening, you know, because it's so incredible. Um, And also for someone like me, who's an immigrant in this country, I've moved here about, what is it, 18, 19 years ago now. I'm from India. I spent most of my kind of adult life in India. Uh, to come in here and I have no contacts, I have no connections. I don't know anyone at the BBC or Channel 4 or any of these kind of institutions. I didn't go to Oxbridge, you know, any of these things. So for someone like me to come in here and to come into an industry that I know nothing about and create a podcast that's been so successful, I think is incredible. Mm-hmm. And and you need to celebrate those milestones too because it's easy to get wrapped up in like once you've had all these wins, like, you know, you, yeah. you were saying you've won the British Podcast Awards, you've won five awards. It's just like you can sort of start to think what's the next thing? Like what am I going to achieve next? Like I need to focus on the future. But like it, that is so incredible and you should just absolutely celebrate that. It's just Thank amazing. Thank you so much. And I think as women also like or those of us who identify as women, I think uh, we're so conditioned to constantly do because we're trying to prove our worth in the world. And like, unless I've won a zillion awards and done this <laughs> and done that, like, am I even, you know, capable of, am I even worthy of being called successful? So it's this constant conditioning that this voice in the back of our head saying, okay, what's next? What's next? Rather than allowing ourselves to sit and say, hey, you know what? You did great. You know, well done you. So sit back and kind of enjoy this moment, you know? Yeah, that it's just is, fantastic. Yeah. And what is something that always makes you smile? Uh... 
food (laughs) (laughs) yeah like i'm such a cliche but i love indian food like i could eat indian food every single day three meals a day and i did actually i was in india for two and a half months i think when we were speaking oh yeah and i literally ate indian food for breakfast lunch and dinner for two and a half months and my some of the friends i was staying with they're like aren't you bored i'm like no i'm not there's so much variety (laughs) like i could eat like a different thing every day i'm not you know yeah that excites me um Pleasure excites me. Like, I think the idea of pleasure, and I don't just mean sex. Sex is obviously an important part of pleasure, but really learning to kind of feel pleasure in our bodies, whether that's a perfume we love, whether that's, I don't know, warm water in our bodies, whether it's how music feels, whether it's how sex feels, you know, like just pleasure. And again, I think as, as women, we've been taught that we must earn pleasure. You know, like pleasure doesn't, you know, pleasures are birthright. We've been born feeling good. Babies feel good, you know, and somewhere along the way we've lost. So I'm really kind of excited about the idea of pleasure, of seeking pleasure, of feeling pleasure, of showing other women how pleasure can be pleasurable, you know, so that I get very excited about. That's amazing. And what do you wish more people understood about you? I wish people, I think sometimes people have a perception that you just kind of rock up and you do something and it becomes really good and then you become famous and whatever. But <laughs> it's, it's not like that. Yeah. A, there's a lot of work that goes into any of the work we do, as you know, Maddie, with kind yeah. of your work as well. Yeah. But also it comes from a place where you've got to work on yourself a lot. Like there's a lot of internal work, working through pain, working through kind of experiences that have happened. Like I come from like a very um, difficult childhood, abusive father. There's a lot of trauma in my life. And I've had to sit with it and feel the pain and work through it. And only then have I come to kind of my life's work. Mm. Because you have to go through that. There are no shortcuts. Yeah. So I don't think people quite understand how much internal work is required before you get to your purpose and then do the work that you were meant to do. Yeah, and I guess making it look easy is one yes. of the hardest parts. Yes, because exactly. you want it, you want it to feel or look effort, effortless. Yes. But then behind the scenes there's just so much other stuff going on. So yeah. Absolutely. You're completely right in saying that. Absolutely. Yeah. And my final question for this round is what is your funniest date story? Oh, there are so many. We could sit oh, here all day. You can tell more than one if you if you can't decide. We love but them. The one that I it always sticks with me is I um went on this date with somebody, and this has happened multiple times actually. But let's make this guy composite. Let's call him Brian, right? Okay. So I went on a date with Brian, and uh, we had a you know a couple of drinks, and we were chatting, and then Brian leans into me, and I'm like. He's really hot, and I'm thinking, okay, this could be interesting. <laughs> and then he leans towards me and he says, Can you do the Kama Sutra? <laughs> oh, God. I backed off, and all the kind of initial lust that I was feeling just kind of faded away. I was like, I roll. Like, <laughs> I got like got into my like kind of soul sutra sangeet then. I'm like, You cannot do the Kama Sutra. <laughs> there are seven books. Cringe. Which book are you referring to? <laughs> <laughs> oh 
God. <laughs> so green. What did you do after that? Did you stay I on left. the date? I you left. left. I'm like, anybody away. that, yeah, I'm like, okay, I suddenly remembered, oh, my oven's on or whatever. And I, my I oven's on. <laughs> I just always put it on these, before like, I really left. stupid, like, getaway reasons. <laughs> my friend just called and she needs me. Or oh, yeah, that's a great one. The whatever, fake phone yeah. call. The fake phone call. Which is like, oh, yeah, I'll be, I'll be there right I'll there. be right there. I'll be right there. Oh, God. I do wonder if I've ever been on the receiving end of one of those phone calls or like if like if a date's done it to me and I've been like oh my god go like you have to go yeah, but yeah, then I'm yeah, like yeah. I, yeah I would just never I wouldn't question it because I think denial is like <laughs> more, less painful exactly exactly <laughs> oh brilliant well I'm so glad you've joined the podcast today because you are the founder of the feminist platform Soul Sutras which is just absolutely brilliant can you tell me and our listeners a bit more about the platform and then we can have a bit of a chat about the work you do yeah, so um, Soul Sutras is a South Asian feminist platform and it's all about tackling taboos in our culture. So as South Asian people, women particularly, we grew up with a lot of stuff we're not supposed to talk about or deal with or carry shame around. So this could be sex, this could be periods, this could mm-hmm. be mental health, this could be the menopause. There's so much kind of a taboo around these topics we do not discuss mm. about our bodies and then let alone orgasms you know it's a long way to go from being able to talk about your body to having discussions about the orgasm mm. so it started about four and a half years ago um i used to work in advertising for many many years and i kind of got to a place where i was really questioning what my life was about i started to run these workshops uh for the first year i think i ran about 20 workshops with a project called masala monologues it's sort of like vagina monologues for south asian women <laughs> <laughs> and i'd coach women on how to write about a particular taboo so someone would come in and say you know i've got a real issue like this thing happened mm-hmm. to me and it's put me off sex or mm-hmm. someone else talks about whatever i don't want to be a mom but i feel this pressure whatever it might be right so the first year we did about 20 such workshops and then i turned those stories into two theater productions one was at rich mix uh, it was like a one-hour play i got a director and a producer involved and we did this amazing show and then i did another one at the design museum as part of a festival um and at the end of that it was amazing the response was fabulous like i think about 100 people turned up and they all came and like hugged me and they said oh my god this oh. is amazing we need more of this in the world yeah and then i really started to think about how can i reach this clearly this is we all need this including me yeah um and how do i kind of find a bigger platform like while theater i love theater but it's small and it doesn't reach the millions that i want to reach mm-hmm. and that's kind of how i started thinking about podcasts as a, as a medium so yeah me, i'm a podcaster because it allows me to do the kind of core work of of talking to south asian women and it allows me to reach a mil- millions of people you know who li- might listen to the podcast so that's kind of how it started and today kind of soul sutras has masala podcast under its kind of wing which as you know has done well and won awards and gets written about in the press quite a lot which is amazing and all of it is organic actually i've never gone and like quoted anybody like the guardian's written about me oh my god amazing. the metro the stylist you know like people just that shows you that there's a real need for this work for sure yeah um and talking about the awards as well like i was at the audio production awards where masala podcast won a silver and i was looking around and it was a room full of people it must have been like i don't know a couple hundred people 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And they're all from audio, from the audio kind of media world? Yep. And I had that feeling. I'm like, wow, I'm not part of this, but I'm successful at this. You're you know, smashing I, it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So that uh, was a big moment as well for me to say, hey, kind of, I've come along, done this podcast, and it's now so. Yeah. Sala Podcast is probably the most successful part of, of Soul Sutras. Yeah. Sala Monologues is still kind of in the background, bubbling away. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for more resources to kind of help me with that. Um, I do, I'm starting. Um, podcasting masterclasses online i've been doing a lot of podcasting awesome. workshops for people yeah so a lot of people write in to me to say oh my god i've got this podcast idea i don't know what to do with it yeah and podcasting is still i mean it's changing but it's very much a man's a white man's world like yeah. the, the big dudes are the you know the people earning the big bucks are men i think only 17 percent of podcasts are by women exactly which is crazy to me and if you look at women of color yeah, you know, I don't even know what the percentages are. Like I've looked yeah. online, you can't even find figures. It's that minimal. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So I feel really passionately that podcasting is a great opportunity for women like me to kind of talk about the things that really kind of are important to them and you want to kind of convey to the world. So podcasting is a big part of Soul Sutras now. 
Um, and again, then I speak on panels and I've spoken at the WOW Festival and Emerge Festival and various festivals. And Amazing. Um, yeah, so that's kind of what Soul Sutras does. So it's like an umbrella platform for South Asian women mm-hmm. to tackle taboos in our culture. It's come so far. It's it, amazing. It really has. And oh. the kind of biggest thing is like, I want women like me to feel less alone in this journey. And I want, want women like me to hear the stories of other women and know that they're not alone. There's, we're all battling this stuff. And it's important to challenge some of this stuff that we're told is like, that's our culture. You know, and it isn't. It was our culture maybe, I don't know, a couple of hundred years ago, but it yeah. needs to evolve. Every culture needs to evolve. You've mentioned the platform was born from your own personal struggles that you've experienced. How did you find the strength beyond that to view taboo subjects in such a critical and, and feminist way? So um, I grew up in a very traditional um, family from Kerala. I grew up in Mumbai, which is sort of like a big crazy city like London. But I was the first woman in my family to kind of have an education, have a degree, find a job so that's kind of how traditional it is so growing up I was a lot of things that I had to kind of really fight for I had to fight to have my hair short to wear certain clothes to refuse to have an arranged marriage at like 18 and 19 you know my family were kind of pushing me so everything was a battle and for me it just really felt like it it came from inside me like this feeling that I have to fight this and I have to become the person that I'm meant to be rather than the person they're telling me I should be and there was no one else around me like me. So in many ways, like my parents were like, who's this freak? You know, she keeps kind of saying all the stuff that we don't understand, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so it comes from there. So I have always waged this war. It feels yeah. like this kind of war for South Asian feminism within me, I think, mm-hmm. ever since I can remember. And where do you find that strength? Who's influenced that? And who's who sort of influenced your stance as a feminist over your life? You know, it's so funny. You you asked this and I've thought about this. I did not know the word feminism yeah. existed. So in India, we didn't know feminism. Like in Hindi, mm-hmm. I don't even know all the languages that I speak. I don't even know if there is a word for feminism. Mm. It's so removed from our experience. Even now when I go to India, a lot of people will say I'm not a feminist because, you know, they've not caught up with that kind of idea of feminism mm-hmm. that we have. Mm-hmm. So I think in answer to your question, there were no role models. (laughs) (laughs) I had to be the role model for myself. I had to find this kind of voice, this little girl inside me. Yeah. um, Who had to pipe up and say, oh, but I don't agree. I don't want to do this. I don't feel like this is right for me. Yeah. So I had to become my own role role model, sorry, because there were no role models at that time. There was no feminism. There were no words for feminism. There were no books. There was no... There were no podcasts, there were no movies, there was nothing. So I had to form and kind of become this person myself. And perhaps that's why it comes from very deep within me. Um, yeah. It's kind of a very core part of my identity, the work that I do and the feminism that I kind of talk about. And what did your friends in the community say when you started voicing these sort of opinions that you were forming? You're crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh. You're going to be alone for the rest of your life. Oh, no. Yeah. Who's going to look after you when you're old? I still get this from some family, actually. Oh, you're all alone. We're so worried about you. And blah, blah, blah. And it comes from a place of love. I've had to accept that, you know, they can only do what they can do. Right. They, come, they can only be who they are. But the kind of narrative is very much about 
if you don't follow this particular trajectory as a woman, as an, as an Asian woman, of you get married, you have kids, you find a nice, safe little job that doesn't interfere with your kind of mothering and wife duties. You know, everybody has to do this, and e- including, and it's so deeply conditioned within us that sometimes I might have kind of quite liberal, educated female friends say similar things to me. Oh, but aren't you worried? You know, I've heard, I've, funny enough, in the last kind of month, I've had five people say this exact sentence to me. Aren't you worried about what will happen when you're old? Really? Yeah. Five people have said that to me. From from the South Asian female community or from... Male and female, yeah. 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 God. It's so, and it's not their fault. Like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's so ingrained and so conditioned within us that women only have this one route to life. Yeah. Where do you think those sorts of ideas stem from? Is it just like the the way it's always been? You know, does it stem from religion? Where does it stem from? I don't think it stems from religion because if you go back far enough, the kind of, um, I'm a Hindu, so the Hindu text that, that, that I know of, women and men were equal if you go yeah. back far enough. But I think culture changed that and society changed that. And I think it probably came from like a time when, um, you know, women had to be kind of, they became property of men because that's changed. That wasn't always the way. Women had their own money. Some of the most powerful women in kind of ancient Indian society were courtesans. They had a lot of money and a lot of power. And in the royal courts, they were like very respected. So this idea of like our culture doesn't talk about sex, our culture keeps women kind of subjugated isn't true. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think somewhere along the way it changed. There was some scripts, that, kind of some t- text that came along. There were different kind of rulers that came into the country, yeah. including the British. Um, and things change. Like so, this example that I always give is that uh, women in Kerala, in, in Kerala where I come from, never wore blouses. They'd wear a sari, you know, wear a sari is, but they never wear like a top because that was their culture. Like my grandmother never wore a blouse and she was like, why would you wear a blouse? And like, I, I don't really understand this. Yeah. But I think the British had a real issue with that. And they're like, oh, these bare-breasted women walking around. This is all too much. Yeah, yeah. You know, so there's a lot of things have happened. I don't think there's a simple answer. I think mm-hmm. kind of religion went to a certain direction. The various rulers that occupied kind of India. Um, and then it became more and more patriarchal. And it kind of men decide, men had the power. Um, another example that I want to give you is um, the Nair community that I come from in, in, in Kerala. Yep. It's a matriarchal, it's a matrilineal society. So children would get the mother's name. Property was passed on to the mother's lineage. Husbands would, like men would come into that household. And when a woman had enough of that particular lover, she would actually put his shoes or his umbrella out. And that was a sign that basically you can leave now. Yeah, wow. This is the culture. You know, this is the society that I came from. Women had a lot of power, you know, within that. And again, I think in the early 19th, 19th century, I don't know my dates, but the British had a real problem with this. A lot of Western kind of visitors from that time would come to Kerala. I was like, oh my God, what is this weird structure? So things kind of changed and, you know, changed for not for the better. So somehow now we've ended up with this idea that our culture is patriarchal, that our culture doesn't respect women. That our culture means women are always subjugated. That our culture means women must always get married, have kids. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But 
if that is the only route available to South Asian women, and we measure our worth by what our husband is about and how many children we've got and how much money, you know, our husbands can give us or what diamonds they can buy us, you know, it's just ridiculous, you know. So I suppose because all the different things that, you know, there is stigma and shame surrounding like sex and, and periods and everything that you spoke about before, the underlying common factor there is th- these are things that are primarily experienced by women yeah. and I suppose in that way it's it's something that is probably subconsciously used by men and made taboo yeah. to have a feeling yeah. of control over women yeah. and control over their lives and that also it, on the other end gives them power. Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Who are some of the best guests that you've had on the Masala podcast and why? And just talk to me about some yeah. of the stories that have emerged from the oh podcast because some of the conversations you've had are just amazing. I've had the most incredible guests and conversations coming from there. Um, it's too many to name, and I wish I could, could be here all day and I'd tell you about the amazing women that are on the Sala podcast. So um, there have obviously been like the big celebrities. Anita Rani was on there, and she talked about kind of growing up South Asian uh, in the North and what that means and kind of... Um, some of the issues that South Asian women face. We've had Anushka Shankar, who's um, one of the biggest names in kind of Indian classical music. She's the daughter of Ravi Shankar. Um, so amazing. And she talked about like something that was really sensitive. She got kind of uh, abused as a child. So oh, she was no. very vulnerable and very open. And we had the most yeah. beautiful conversation about kind of women's bodies and how mm. they don't belong to us. Or we're taught that they don't belong to us, that other people have access to it. And we have to kind of protect it, you know, like that's kind of our job. Yeah. So that was a beautiful conversation. So Sahara Knight was another awesome uh, guest. And she used to be a sex worker at that time that I interviewed her. Uh-huh. And she talks about all these men, South Asian men coming to her with these like auntie fetishes. That's so good. <laughs> And she has this incredible story. You must listen to the podcast yeah. where she talks about she had a client who was an imam in the mosque. And yep. um, let's just say he had a thing for carrots. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> in certain parts of his body. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. We don't want to kink shame, but that no, is so that funny. So funny. <laughs> I just found the whole kind of like the, you know, the whole kind of picture of this imam and the carrot and, the, you know, it just was... <laughs> really funny <laughs> oh that is brilliant yeah and so was she a sex worker in india or no over in, in the, the uk so she's british ah. she's south asian british i think wow. she lives yeah and she's she's been in game of thrones that's her big kind of role oh, yeah she's amazing i have to go and listen to this episode i haven't yeah. heard this one it sounds yeah, it's really, really good. fun <laughs> and it's really fun and it's really kind of you know, a lot of people, whether they are South Asian or not, have this idea of kind of porn stars and sex work as being this thing that kind of people are forced into. Yeah. And, you know, and she, you know, is a woman who has a business. She's, you know, very proud of what she does, as she should be. You know, she's a professional. She's very good at her job, you know, like, so it was yeah. really refreshing and 
uh, eye-opening and fun conversation. You know, I really enjoyed it. Sometimes like sex work as well can be a way for some women to get power and men to get power back yes. over their lives. So exactly. it's not a lot, it's not a loss of power. It's yes. actually a way yes. for them to feel control over those things that may have happened to them or, exactly. you know, not even things that have happened to them in the past. It might yeah. just be some, a way that they can feel control and power and autonomy over their own exactly. life. Exactly. Exactly. And I don't think we mm. talk about it enough. Yeah. I, I love when you were saying it's such a fun conversation because, you know, these sorts of conversations are so important to make people feel safe. And I'd love um, if you could talk to me about the importance of creating those safe spaces for South Asian women to share their stories and connect with each other because I, I, that's sort of what it all comes down to, isn't it, is allowing people a space to to share and that makes people feel safe. Absolutely. So if you imagine most South Asian women haven't got spaces to, to have these conversations, you might have a friend who you feel close enough to maybe perhaps have this conversation, but you there is nowhere in the world where you can go and you're like, oh my God, you know, I have, I have this thing, I, wanna, I don't know, I got abused or I can't have orgasms or whatever it might be that you want to talk about. So when you create a safe space like Soul Sutras, like Masala Podcast, women will come in. They will listen to the stories of other women. And it gives them the courage and the kind of inspiration sometimes to maybe make changes in their own lives. Like I have, I get hundreds upon hundreds of messages and emails and oh. DMs. You cannot even imagine. Uh-huh. And they all say kind of similar things. Your podcast changed my life. Like it's a big oh. thing. Yeah, that's incredible. And, you know, I've had women say they've left difficult relationships. I've had women say they've had, uh, they've explored their sexuality for the first time. I've had, you know, it's, you cannot even imagine, you know, it gives me goosebumps when I talk about it even now. I can't tell you the details because some of them are quite private, but, yeah, you know, this work changes people's lives every single day. Yeah. And if not for spaces like this, there is nowhere for a woman, for a South Asian woman to go and to hear these kind of sometimes quite difficult areas that are, can be triggering, that no one's talking about. And what I do is I talk about my experiences in that space. I'm very vulnerable on the podcast. I talk about when I got groped as a five-year-old or when, you know, whatever, the person I had my period and how I was made to feel or the pressure from the family or mental, my own mental health. I talk about I have depression and anxiety and I talk about that very openly and when I do that it allows my guests to be as vulnerable in turn and my listeners to say oh wow you know so I'm not alone in this other people feel it that's so empowering and in saying all of this what do you hope is the future for Soul Sutras and the Masala podcast where do you see it going you know how how much more I mean the sky's the limit but Mm. where where do you see what's next for you I mean I'm just looking up there are I think 2 billion South Asian women in in South Asian countries. Mm -hmm. There are like, I think, 2.5 million in the US, 2 million in this country. So there are a lot of us. Yeah. We are in all these spaces. And our experiences are very similar. So whether you've grown up South Asian in India, like I have, Mm -hmm. or you've grown up in the UK and you're British South Asian or you're American South Asian, your experiences are very similar because Mm -hmm. the kind of root culture is very similar. So yeah. the stuff that the baggage that we carry, the pain that we carry, the trauma that we carry mm. is very similar. So I'd like to reach all of these women and I'd like them to kind of 
find a safe space in Soul Sutras and in Sala Podcasts. Mm-hmm. And I'd like them to feel less alone in that journey, in their own life journey, so that they can feel like, okay, here's this culture that I was born into, but I can make it my own. I can take these bits that suit me and I don't like these bits, so I'm not going to take them because other women are saying that I can do that. And so that's, that's the kind of vision for me, to reach all of these millions of South Asian women all over the world and we have this massive, loving, supportive community where we feel heard and not alone and, and, and that's, that's my vision. And my final question is how do you find and how do you maintain such a level of strength in the face of all of that? Is it, the, is it these women that are inspiring you? How do you sort, where do you draw it from? I think a large part of it is is the women that write to me like every single day. Somebody wrote to me yesterday about, you know, I've done this article for the Metro about domestic violence in my own family and kind of how that's informed my feminism. And someone wrote to me to say, oh, no, this happened to me. I got loads of messages on the back of that article to say this happened, this happened, but we don't talk about it in our community. So these messages of like, oh, my God, please keep going. Um, somebody yeah. said to me, you know, a lot of people aren't vocal. They aren't telling you what you do, but you're really helping us in our lives so please keep doing what you're doing you know so i get that all the time so that's the primary kind of inspiration that's what keeps me going um and it's my life's work like i you know it sounds a bit cuckoo but i feel like i was put on this planet to do this work and you're helping so many millions of people which is just absolutely brilliant to see and hopefully you can inspire others to sort of take up similar work and then you know even if it's not a podcast it's speaking to their friends speaking to people like them you know sharing those stories and in turn that is so empowering for other people to hear in you know just having those discussions in their communities thank you so much for joining the podcast honestly it's like 9am we're recording this I'm feeling so inspired I'm gonna go out and just attack the day like you've (laughs) you've absolutely just made made my day with this combo so thank you so much for joining Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure, Maddie. Thank you for having me. And Thank you. Everybody, go listen to Masala Podcast. Yes. Support kind of other creators like me and Maddie. And, mm-hmm. you know, because that's how we kind of move in the world, you know, like more people supporting us. And it doesn't, you don't have to be South Asian. You just have to support the cause. I hope you enjoyed my chat with the wonderful Sangeeta. Please let me know on my Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, wherever, if you have any stories or thoughts of your own to share for the podcast. And remember to leave me a review. Love and elbow taps. Peace. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and 365 day returns.